So be sure to keep your place there in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4. We'll be uh, spending our time there today. I hope you've been enjoying this study of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, I know I have. Uh, going through and uh, uh, spending some time digging in a little bit. And especially trying to draw some lessons uh, for us today from uh, Scripture. Uh, one thing I have seen very clearly is that... Uh, uh, the times and the situations may change, but uh, people are still the same. <laughs> There's still a lot of uh, the same issues and problems. Uh, they just manifest themselves in a different way. Last week in chapter 3, Jimmy talked about uh, Samuel getting the first time of, of really hearing uh, the word from the Lord. And uh, he shared with us uh, the two points. One, that we need to listen more. And uh, I think we could all say amen to that. Uh, I was reminded of James uh, chapter 2 and verse 19, where James says, be quick to listen. And uh, that's something I know I need to remind myself personally about. And I'm sure I probably have a few here uh, with us today that need that reminder as well. And the second was, uh, when in doubt, sing along. And uh, we need, I know there are things that come into our uh, lives that uh, cause us to wonder and doubt about things. And uh, sometimes it causes us to, to kind of turn away and, and withdraw and become like a turtle and uh, suck our heads back in. Uh, but we need to, to step out on faith some and, and just sing along with the, the, the song that God is putting in front of us and uh, to embrace it uh, as we go through. And uh, today, uh, in chapter 4, uh, if this was a um, television series, this would maybe be a cliffhanger, <laughs> uh, chapter 4. It, it, there's a lot of things uh, in the first part of the book that kind of uh, come to fulfillment uh, but then at the end, we're kind of left with wondering what will be next uh, as we look at chapter 4. So the title that I chose today uh, was God Users. And, you know, as uh, you reflect maybe on the scripture reading, you can see maybe how that might fit in. But we're going to draw on that as we go through. But I want you to think about that term user for a little bit. And maybe how it... Uh, applies for you today. Uh, the age of the computer and electronic devices and the internet made users a very prevalent term. Uh, all of you have, I'm sure, a username, maybe many of them, that you use to log into websites, log into apps that you may have on your devices, and uh, that user name. Uh, is your access to be able to take advantage of different things, whether that be shopping or playing games. Um, another way that user is used today is in operating things. Uh, you're a user of a car, probably how you got here this morning. Some of you may have a boat, uh, other things that you take and um, use to be able to get some benefit uh, to yourself. Um, I play golf. I like to be a user of a golf cart, user of a golf club, because it ends up being able to make those activities better. 
Uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s, uh, a user was not a good thing. Because normally we thought of that as someone who was using drugs and an addict that had been taken hold of uh, by that as well. In the, the world of psychology, a user is someone who kind of manipulates other people for their personal gain. They end up having a negative effect on their relationships by, by taking that. Scammers are users of us today, right? Trying to capture us. So this term user, the thing that I want you to think about is as you reflect over some of those terms this morning is how does a user affect your relationship with God? Because I think that's an important thing for us to reflect on uh, as we look at this passage today. So, for our reading just a little bit, we looked here at 1 Samuel chapter 4. The, uh, when you read it in your Bible, you think the first part of this of verse 1 doesn't fit. Looks like it ought to be back up with uh, chapter 3. And it really is. It's kind of a segue over. Chapter 3 was where Samuel started hearing the Word of God. And here we get that his word is going out into Israel. And the word is the Lord's word. Samuel is speaking the word of God and it's going out into Israel. Now the sad thing about this is in this chapter, this is the last time we hear from Samuel. There's a lot of things that happen during this chapter, but Samuel is not uh, identified as being involved in any of the things that are going on. And I think that's important for us to think about. Do we get caught up in things and the word of the Lord isn't there? We get caught up in our own word, in the words of those around us to the point that the word of the Lord is not there. Now, there's a big battle that occurs, right? The Philistines or Philistines, tomato, tomato, there's different ways of pronouncing everything, but uh, I'm sure I'll probably say Philistines. Um, they're over in one city, Israelites are over in the other, and they decide to go into battle. Now this is the first time that we've come into contact with the Philistines uh, here in, in Samuel, although it's not the first time that the Israelites have come into contact. They go through and they get to this big question at the end, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today? You ever had that question? <laughs> why am I in this situation? Why? Why, why, why? And uh, the Israelites asked this. Well, it's important to know a little bit of the history of the Philistines because in uh, Judges chapter 3 and verse 1, as you look there, this pattern occurred quite often in Judges. Uh, the uh, Israelites uh, are... Uh, going through difficult uh, situations. But if you notice up there, the five rulers of the Philistines are included here. And you're going to learn more uh, when we get into chapter 5 about the five uh, rulers of the Philistines. But look what he says there in verse 4. They were left to test the Israelites 
to see whether they would obey the Lord's command which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Philistines, along with the Canaanites and, and others, the Lord left them there for this purpose of testing them to see if they were going to obey. There may be today some people that the Lord has left around you to test you, to see whether you're going to obey his commands. Difficulties and trials that we go through may be for that purpose. Now, the, the, the Israelites knew this. They knew that this was what was going on. And this defeat that occurred is tied back directly to this. Now, the Philistines, two other times in um, the book of Judges, uh, Judges uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 6 through 8, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And at that time, he sold, they were sold into the hands of the Philistines for 18 years. So the Israelites have some history already with the Philistines about what happens when they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were uh, raised up out of that by Jephthah, uh, a judge. But then over in Judges 13 and verse 1, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines, this time not for 18 years, but for 40 years. A generation spent their time in the hands of the Philistines. Now, chapters 14, 15, and 16, um, we have the story of Samson and Delilah, where Samson ends up, uh, bringing them out of uh, their captivity from that standpoint when it destroyed uh, their, their temple. They ask this question, why were we defeated? There's some answers here in Judges uh, from that standpoint. And the last verses in Judges uh, ends up, I think, providing some real good insight into what was going on. In those days, Israel had no king Everyone did as they saw fit. Now, whenever a people of God choose to start doing what they see as fit, as opposed to what God sees as fit, defeat is at their door. And that is why the Israelites were defeated by the Philistines. They were taking on their own God as themselves, doing what they saw fit as opposed to what God wanted to do. Good principle for us to think about in our lives today. Are we submitting ourselves and being obedient to the commands of God or are we choosing to do what we see fit in our own eyes? Very important words of wisdom for us today. So what did they do? They answered the question, thinking that uh, they're going to solve the problem. The elders' answer is to go get the ark 
in Shiloh. Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. If you recall back in the beginning of 1 Samuel, that's where Hannah, that's where they would go uh, to do their sacrifices. Uh, at that uh, period of time, the tabernacle was there uh, in Shiloh. And the bearers of the ark bringing it are Eli's son, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, when the ark arrives, there is a great shout. And I don't know if you've ever been able to shake the earth <laughs> with a shout. <laughs> but that was, that was how excited they were. They believe that now that the ark is here, that we are going to be able to receive it. Now, this is also the uh, first time that the ark's kind of been involved here in uh, 1 Samuel. And so I wanted to, to provide a little bit of insight into that. Some of you may not be familiar with the ark. Or if you are familiar, you're familiar from this picture. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Now, I, I put this picture in here because the picture actually is a pretty good um, resemblance of what the ark would look like. You can see the dimensions over there on the side. It was commanded in Exodus, um, then provided the instructions for it uh, in Exodus chapter 26. This is when the Israelites were there at Mount Sinai, and they received the instructions about building uh, this ark at that time. Um, now, I don't know how many of you know what a cubic is, but if you look at my arm, it's about that long from the elbow out to the end of the hand. It's eight, about 18 inches. So this uh, arc is, you know, lengthwise, uh, a little over three feet, three and three quarters for two and a half cubics. And its height is 27 inches and the width is 27. So, you know, it's uh, about this size uh, from that standpoint. It was made of a kaowara wood and it was inlaid with gold, both inside and out. So very uh, elaborate, expensive. Uh, it had these rings, uh, four rings, two on each side. Uh, there were poles also laid with gold made of the same wood that would slide through those rings so that they would be able to, to lift it and carry it and transport it. Um, the mercy seat, which is the top of the ark, uh, also known as the Seat of Atonement. Uh, it was described as having two cherubims, two angels that would be on each side with their wings. This has their wings kind of straight across. The description kind of has them more upward. But uh, there's these two angels, and in the middle of that is where the presence of God would come down to provide instruction and word, and would also be where uh, the atonement blood would be put uh, when the sacrifice was made. Uh, its residence was to be inside the most holy place of the temple. There were the various levels of the temple, the tabernacle, and then later the temple. But in the tabernacle, in the tent, uh, it was where the high priest would go in to offer these atonements. Um, two instances that we have prior to this talking about the ark and its involvement uh, in the history of the Israelites. One very important was in Joshua, when they, in chapter 3, they were crossing over into Cana. And so the Lord told them to have the priest pick up the ark, carry it into the Jordan River. As they began to walk into the Jordan River, the river stopped 
It became dry land, much like when they crossed into the Red Sea. And the priests stood there with the ark until the nation of Israel passed through Jordan. So it was very important there, uh, presence of God and that uh, delivery across. Uh, the second time is as they come to Jericho. The Lord tells them that uh, they're to take the ark again. Priests are to carry it. They're to march around the city six times, right? Then march on the seventh and a loud shout and the walls fall down. So those were the two times, two instances where the ark uh, is described in the activity that it was used in. Uh, I think it's important to know that both of those times the ark was used was based on a command from God. God told them what to do with the ark. The uh, second thing that I think is important is where God had said that the ark should remain, which is in the most holy place of the temple. So the elders knew where the ark was. It's in Shiloh in the tabernacle. So they knew where it was. They may have remembered that the ark had some benefit to them in the past, and they decided they were going to bring the ark uh, into their camp so that they would be able to defeat the Philistines. So inside the ark were three things. One was uh, a, a golden jar of manna, which is what the Israelites were provided while they were in uh, the wilderness by God. That was a mark of God's provision to the people. The second thing was Aaron's rod, which had budded whenever they went through to select which of the uh, tribes would be the, the tribe of the priesthood. God made it known that the uh, Aaron's rod, which budded overnight, would uh, make him the one. And so it, it is a representation of the priesthood that God did. And then the third thing that was in there were the stone tablets that God had written the commands on, uh, on Mount Sinai, which uh, represents God's law to the people. So um, this is where we see the Israelites starting to try to be God users, taking something that God has and bringing it to do what they want to do with it as opposed to what God commanded them to do. As we move on here in um, the reaction that we had, the Philistines are afraid. Loud shout, the earth shaking, they uh, are afraid. And uh, these were some of the, the best leaders being able to overcome <laughs> this fear and talk them into going into battle. And they go into battle and the the first battle, 4,000 died. This time, 3,000 Israelites died. There is a slaughter that occurs. They are running. Uh, they're just, you know, scattering uh, from the standpoint of going on. And Eli's sons, Hopni and Phinehas, are killed, and the ark is captured. Now, this is the sign that came with the prophecy about Eli and his sons and how they would um, be taken out of the lineage of, of the uh, priesthood. And that prophecy said that both of your sons will die on the same day so that you know that it is true and this is the fulfillment of it. So 
We move into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 12. And I, this, uh, these words look bigger on my computer screen. I, I need to make sure that I increase the font level uh, next time. And uh, I'm going to, to read from um, chapter 4, verse 12. The uh, same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line with Shiloh. His clothes were torn <clears throat> and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of, the, of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town set up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old, whose eyes were set so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man brought the news, replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered great losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair on the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had led Israel for 40 years. Eli knew the ark left the tabernacle. He knew that it had been taken. I don't know if he tried to stop it or not. He should have. He should have told them they couldn't take it. He should have told his sons they couldn't take it. I don't know how much a fight he put up, if he put up any. The ark got taken. And Eli is sitting there on the side of the road, worried about the ark. Worried about what's going to happen. Probably worried about his sons, thinking about the prophecy. He saw his two sons take the ark, but he's really worried about the ark. And when he finds out what happened to the ark, that the ark has been captured, he dies. What a, what a sad way to, to go. The last thing that you know is that the ark has been captured. Eli's life lead to this culmination of despair and disappointment. And then after that happens, um, he picks up there in the next verses. And, and one other uh, note there, it says, uh, some translation says he led for 40 years. Some translations will say that led is judged that he, you know, kind of served as a judge. Now, when we hear the term judge today, you know, we think of someone that's in the court systems. A judge at that time was a deliverer, someone who was delivering Israel and keeping them connected with God and safe from the things that were going on. Eli may have done it for four years, but he didn't do a real good job. He didn't lead the people. He didn't deliver the people. In fact, the culmination is the deliverance of the ark to the Philistines. And so the sad ending of the story doesn't stop there. As we pick up in verse 19, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, son who just died, 
was pregnant near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. And as she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair. You have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. The name Ichabod means glory is gone. And she now is, as she's dying, she is leaving this legacy or imprint of uh, what has occurred on her son as they finish up. So the story culminates here. With the ark being captured, we're kind of left with a little cliffhanger of, of what will happen next. And the death of Eli, uh, 30,000 Israelites, Phineas and Hopnia, and uh, also um, Phineas's uh, wife uh, from that standpoint. So three points I want you to take away uh, this morning. The first one is that a God user is a God abuser. And I want you, I want you to take that to heart because... Uh, some of you at some time may be practicing being a God user and not really coming into the relationship as, as you should. Consumerism is really good in a capitalistic society, but consumerism is not good in the house of God. If everything is about what you want, and what you need, and what you like, and not about what God wants, and what God commands of you, then you are using God and becoming an abuser. We need people that are God servants, not God users. And so think about that for yourself. Reflect on whether you're living as a user of God, just trying to bring him in to the times that you need things done for yourself as you want them. The second thing is you need to worship God and not the things of God. It, it's so much easier to connect with and um, be able to relate to things that you can physically see and touch. That's why I think the Israelites were connected to the ark, right? Because it's something they could see. It was something that they could touch and feel. But the ark had no power. The ark was not something that uh, was able to deliver them. It's only because of God that the things of God have any meaning. Sometimes we get connected maybe to things that we do today the communion, maybe even the, the, the hard Bible, right? The, the scripture of God. We get to the point that we worship those things. Some people today, from a standpoint of creation, right? They, they begin to worship creation instead of the creator. 
uh, all through the history of man, idols become a distraction and a delusion that keeps people from being able to see and experience God. God wants you to worship God, the spiritual being, not the things of God. And so don't allow yourself to get caught and trapped by those things and allow those things of God to replace your understanding and appreciation and connection to God and his being and his presence. The power of the ark was the presence of God and experiencing and hearing and listening to the presence of God is what brings us into a powerful, positive relationship with him. So make sure you're worshiping God and not the things of God. And then the last thing I'm going to leave you with is don't have an Ichabod. <laughs> don't have an Ichabod. What does that mean? So this isn't about Ichabod the, the baby. Um, it, this isn't about uh, the sad situation and things that happened to them. This is about being able to keep yourself out of situations where you have contributed to, you have allowed, you have made the glory of God depart. The Israelites, because of their desire to do what they saw fit in their own eyes and to do evil in the eyes of God, that action and behavior and attitude led to the glory of God departing from the Israelites. I don't want any of you to have an Ichabod. I don't want you to get in a situation where the glory of the Lord is departing and there's no glory that is being able to be experienced because you've kind of taken like the Israelites and become a God user as opposed to a God submitter, a God servant. Uh, from that standpoint. So I, I pray this morning that uh, there's something the Lord delivered to you through uh, the words that I shared that will help touch you in a way to draw you closer to him. I really do. I pray that uh, you will be drawn to God in a stronger and deeper way. And remember the words of James, those that humble themselves and the sight of the Lord will be lifted up. God will lift you up. Not you by your own goodness or the things that you do, but your willingness to humble yourselves and draw near to him. We, as we always do, we'll have a closing song. And, you know, if you have some prayer requests or you have some things that God's put on your heart, don't allow the Spirit's good work in your life to return null. <laughs> Submit to it. And in whatever way God is calling you and wanting you to draw to him, I pray that you will do it. Leave those things behind that are encumbering you and come to be with him. So let us stand as we sing this morning.